You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon, we'll find our scripture reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 19. And we'll read through to verse 1 of chapter 20. A better a man, a better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. A false witness, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. Many curry favor with a ruler. And everyone is is the friend of a man who gives gifts. A poor man is shunned by all his relatives, but how much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, how much worse for a slave to rule over princes. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. He who, he who obeys instructions guards his life, but he who is contemptuous of his ways will die. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. When a man desires, what a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. He robs his father and drives out his mother. He's a son who brings shame and disgrace. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Penalties are prepared for mockers, and beatings for the backs of fools. Wine is a mocker, and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. This afternoon we find a text from Proverbs chapter 20, verses 2 through 8. A king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, 
But every fool is quick to quarrel. A slugger does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find? The righteous man leads a blameless life, Blessed are his children after him. When a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we turn our attention to the book of Proverbs this afternoon. You need to realize that this book is really a collection of wisdom literature that comes from different sources of wisdom in Israel. Our text this afternoon is found in the collection of Proverbs that have come from King Solomon. That collection begins already in chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 10, and the collection ends in verse 16 of chapter 22 of this book. And when you read through these collection of Proverbs from Solomon, it often seems the Proverbs have very little in connection with one another. When we read them, often each proverb seems to be able to stand on its own. And yet when we dig a little deeper into into these proverbs, we realize that often there are different connections to be found between the proverbs. And so this afternoon, we will see that also our text, verses 2 through 8 of chapter 20, uh, really needs to be looked at as a unit that forms a whole. And if you look at this particular text, you'll notice how it begins and ends in verse 2 and verse 8. It begins and ends by, speak, by speaking about a king, a king who rules and a king who judges. Now before we come to the text, before that, in the words that we read in chapter 19, verse 23 through to verse 1 of chapter 20, there Solomon has been speaking about fools and pointing out that those who are fools will be punished for their foolishness. And so in those verses that come before our text, Solomon warns us to turn away from our foolish ways so that we may be able to enjoy life with the Lord. And then we come to verse 2 of chapter 20. And there Solomon speaks about the king who acts as a judge. It's the king who will judge those who are foolish. And it is the king who will winnow out all the evil that he finds existing in his kingdom. Remember back in, in those days of King Solomon, uh, the king was not only the ruler of the land, but he was also the highest judge in the land. You know, it's only in, in, modern, in our modern times that there, a separation has, de- has developed uh, between the king or the rulers of the land and the judiciary. And that development in our modern times serves as a check against those who are in government, those who are in power over us. And so also our rulers today then are subject to the laws of the land, and it is the independent judiciary who judges whether the rulers are breaking the law or not. And they have to answer then also to the, to the judiciary if they have broken the laws of the land. Well, that's not the way it was back in ancient days, and certainly not the way it was in Israel in the days of King Solomon. When Solomon became king, he did not only have the power to rule, 
but he was also called upon to be the highest judge in the land. And I'm sure that you'll remember, and you children, you'll also remember the well-known story about how King Solomon had to make a judgment upon whose baby it was when two mothers claimed the same baby because one of the babies had died. And Solomon was called upon to, to make a judgment in that particular case because he was the highest judge in the land. Well, ultimately, we need to understand that Solomon acting as judge really represents the great judge of heaven and earth, who is the Lord God. And therefore, these Proverbs then also reveal that the fool cannot get away with his foolish ways, but that one day the fool will also be held accountable to the great judge of heaven and earth. And so this afternoon I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme, the righteous king winnows out all evil uh, from his kingdom. We'll see three, four things. In the first place we'll see that the righteous king exposes that which lies deep in a man. Secondly, that he exposes what a man sows. Thirdly, that he gives honor to the righteous. In the fourth place, that he reigns over a righteous kingdom. As we look at our text, the first thing we need to to understand and to see is that the heart of this section is really to be found in verse 5. And we need to realize that it is very common for Hebrew literature and Hebrew poetry that it will work towards a central thought and then it will work its way back again out of that central thought. And therefore, this afternoon we're going to begin with a central thought in verse 5 and we're going to work our way out from it. And this proverb in verse 5 says, The purpose of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Well, as we read this proverb and understand it's in the, understand it in the context of the fools that Solomon is speaking about, then it becomes clear why this particular proverb finds a central position here in our text. Because everything that a man does comes out of that which lives in his or her heart. Well, when Solomon says the purpose of a man's heart, well, that phrase speaks about the plans that a person has for his life. And here you can think of how the Lord God in the very beginning set out to create creation. The Scriptures tell us that the Lord God created the universe, how? According to His eternal counsel, or you can say according to His eternal purpose. What that means is that the Lord God, before He created anything, He first of all, He made a plan for His creation. You can say He set out a blueprint. And once the Lord God had made His plans and created His blueprint, then He went out and He began to create everything that He had planned. Well, God has also created us, man, in such a way that before we do anything, we first of all, we make a plan in our mind. And once we have that plan, then we set out to make that plan a reality. And so this proverb tells us that the purposes or the plans of man's heart are deep waters. The point here is that you cannot easily see, you cannot easily fathom what a person's plans really are because it lies in his heart. You know, when the water, when you look at a body of water and you look into it and the, and the water is shallow and it is clear, you might be able to see down to, to the bottom and you can see what's at the bottom of that body of water. 
But when the water is very deep, it may, the water may even be clear, but if it's very deep, you cannot see the bottom and you can't see what's down there. And so the point is that as you cannot see what is at the bottom of the deep water, so you cannot see either the plans that lives in the heart of a man. Well, the point of this proverb is not just that you cannot see the plans that live in a man's heart. But what he says here is, what Solomon is getting at, is that you cannot see the motivation that lives in a man's heart. Because ever since the fall of man into, into sin in the very beginning, the heart of man has become totally corrupt. And because of the corruption of our heart, we are not able to, to know the motivation that lives in another person's heart. So you may remember that when, when Cain asked his brother Abel uh, to go out with him into uh, the fields, Abel didn't realize what was laying in Cain, Cain's heart. He didn't know that the purpose of Cain's heart was to kill him. Or when Daniel, Daniel's enemies suggested to King Darius that he should pass a law that everyone in the land could only pray to a king, to, to the king for a certain period of time, Darius did not realize that the real purpose behind that suggestion and that plan was to get rid of Daniel. And when Herod said to those wise men who came to Bethlehem to come back to me and tell me where the baby, where the baby Jesus is, they didn't understand at that time. They didn't know that Herod's plan was to kill the child. And so often, people will come up with ideas, with plans that on the surface appear to be genuine and appear to be very good. But underneath, there is an evil scheme uh, to achieve some evil or some wicked goal. And so, we know that men's hearts are always scheming evil and corruption looking for ways in which they can fulfill those evil passions and desires that they have. And so it's very difficult to know the real purpose that lies behind somebody's suggestion. But Solomon says this. Solomon says, A man of understanding draws them out. A man of understanding, you could also say, is a wise man. And a wise man, Solomon says, is able to see through the schemes, able to see through the plans of people. He's able to see that while on the surface the idea may sound very good, the real purpose is something very sinful and evil. Well, you know, Solomon is such a man of understanding. Solomon was renowned in his day for his wisdom. People from all over the world came in order to see something of the wisdom of Solomon. Because Solomon could see right through the schemes of people. And the one example that we can think of, I already mentioned that, was the time that he had to make a judgment concerning whose baby, or whether that baby belonged to this mother or to, to that mother, since both mothers claimed that the baby was theirs. Solomon, in his wisdom, was able to draw up from the depths of the hearts of these mothers what lived within their heart. Solomon understood that the real mother would never have agreed to have her child be put to death if he threatened to kill the child. Solomon had the wisdom given to him by the Lord to discern what lived in the heart of these two mothers. And so a man of understanding, first of all, we need to understand, is a man who knows the Word of God. See, it's the Word of God. It teaches us about the sinful nature of mankind. 
A man of God understands the corrupt nature of a man's heart. You know, sometimes people have asked, well, how do you know what was living in my mind? It's almost like you're able to read my thoughts. I know, beloved, nobody has mind-reading abilities. But the reason that we often know what lives in another person's heart and we know what they are thinking is because the Lord has revealed to us the patterns of sin in His Holy Word. The Word guides us in understanding the experiences of this life so that a man of understanding knows how to knows how to also interpret and to see what's going on. A man of understanding knows how a corrupt heart thinks and how a corrupt heart operates. And so the king who is able, who is going to judge needs to be such a man of understanding who knows how the evil heart of man operates in this life. He needs to be able to draw up the purposes of a man's heart in order to winnow out the evil from his kingdom. And so while Solomon received this understanding from the Lord God so that he became renowned in the world for his wisdom, beloved, there is one who is greater than Solomon, one who has even greater understanding than King Solomon. Isaiah in in chapter 11, verse 2, speaks about the shoot uh, that will come up out of the stump of Jesse. Isaiah says that he will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, He will judge, he says in Isaiah 11, verse 3, not by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. And so Isaiah says, Jesus Christ is this shoot of Jesse who is able to draw out of man the purposes of his heart. Why? Because he has a spirit by which he's able to look right into the heart of man and he knows the evil purposes and he knows the plans that lives there. He is the great judge from whom we can never, ever escape. Beloved, He knows all your thoughts. And He knows all the intentions that lives in your heart. You never cover them up because the Lord is able to search them out. And therefore, He is able to expose also what a man sows. Verse 4, it says, A sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest, he looks, but he finds nothing. Well, plowing usually begins in the month of December, and in Palestine that apparently is the winter season. But the winter season apparently is also the rainy season when the rains would fall to to the ground, and when the rains came, it would help to soften the land so it would be easier to plow. But the sluggard, Perhaps he complains about the cold weather. It doesn't go out and so doesn't go out and plow the field in season. But yet Solomon says, when the harvest time comes, he goes out to his field and he looks for the harvest, but he finds nothing. And so the sluggard reaps that which he sows, which is nothing. Well, as we look at this proverb. You need to understand that here the Lord reveals to us a very basic rule of His creation. You see, the Lord God does does not do the work for man, but God does. God is, supplies us with the means by which we may go about doing our work. And so the Lord God says, I'm the one who supplies the rain from heaven. 
But if you do not plow the field, if you do not sow the seed in the field, then your field will not be fruitful. So we see that on the one hand, yes, God works. But at the same God, at the same time, God also demands that we are busy with our work. God will send the rain from heaven, but He calls us to go and to work the field. And if you do not work the field, then the rain will not be of any benefit to you. Then God's blessing on the field will be of no advantage to you. And when the harvest comes, then the slugger goes out to the field, but he doesn't find anything in the field. And when he doesn't find anything and he becomes desperate, then we, say, we read that he may go and ask for a harvest, but he will not get any. He may even plead to, to the king of the land that the king might give him something to eat because he didn't have, an har- didn't have a harvest. But the king in his anger will expose his laziness and refuse to give him anything. A man who refuses to work because he's too lazy is not going to get anything from the king. He has brought this situation upon himself and therefore he goes, he will also need to bear the consequences of his laziness. And I beloved, this principle is not only a principle that applies to the material things in our lives, but Solomon reveals to us this principle that applies to the material things of life in order that we might also realize it applies to our spiritual well-being. You see, the Lord God promises that He will shower us with His spiritual blessings. But He also makes it very clear, beloved, that if you do not work with the blessings that He showers upon you, if you do not work with His Word and you do not dedicate yourselves in His service, then there will not be a harvest of righteousness in your life. Perhaps we can illustrate this principle by comparing our, our soul to a garden. You know, because of our sin and our corruption, our soul has really become a, a barren place that produces nothing of value to the Lord God. It's like a wilderness where you do not find anything. But the Lord God says, But I am my grace. I will water your soul with my blessings from above. And so Lord God showers us, beloved, with His riches, the riches of His gospel, and He showers us, as we may also remember today on Pentecost, with His Holy Spirit. You see, those are the means. The Word and the Spirit are the means by which the Lord God will again make our heart and our soul produce an abundance of righteousness. But if you don't take those blessings, and you don't work with the blessings that the Lord God has given to you, if you refuse to plow the soil of your heart, if you refuse to work with His Word, then your heart and your soul will remain a barren wasteland. Then all those blessings from the Lord God will be of no value to you. Well, it will become clear to the great King that, you're, that you are indeed a spiritual sluggard who refuses to, to work with the gifts that He's so graciously given to you. You see, beloved, while all the blessings you need, they they come to you from above and they're given to you freely by the Lord God for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. Yet the Lord doesn't take away the responsibility that you have to work with those blessings. But you need to realize that if you are spiritually spiritually lazy, that will become also very clear to the great King in heaven. Because He will very quickly begin to see that the garden of your soul is a barren garden. 
that it is not producing any works of righteousness. When the harvest time comes, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in that last day, well, then you can go out and you can look at the garden of your soul and you can look for a, a harvest there. And when you don't find anything, you could even beg the Lord God that He might give you a harvest. But you'll not get any. And therefore we read in verse 6 of our text, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Beloved, isn't that the way of all people? Everybody claims that they can be trusted. We hear people say, oh, you can count on me. I will come through for you. I'll never let you down. Perhaps many of you have made that promise also on your wedding day to your spouse. We made those, those vows to our spouse and we promised, dear, I'll always be faithful to you. Always be there for you. I'll, I'll never let you down. But a faithful man, Solomon asks, who can find? In other words, you can ask, well, how true are you to your promises? How often hasn't it been the case that you were not there for your husband and not there for your wife? How often haven't you let one another down in your marriage relationship? And the same thing is true with so many of our, of our friendships. You know, we claim that we'll always be there for our friend. But we often disappoint them, and they often disappoint us. And we realize that, beloved, and we see here also something of the depth of our corruption. When the Lord Jesus comes, He says there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord. They claim that they, that they know Him and that they were faithful to Him here in this life. They will claim unfeigning love for the Lord God. But Jesus says, He says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So that which this proverb makes clear, beloved, is is that your words must match also your actions. You can claim that you have unfailing love for the Lord your God. You know that the sluggard also claimed that he loved the Lord God. And the sluggard says, Lord, I've been faithful to you. I love you with my whole heart. But his actions didn't show that. He's actually a hypocrite who does not live according to his own words. You know, the sluggard says, Thank you, Lord, for the rain that you send upon my land. And then he promises, I will be faithful to you, Lord. But what does he do? He refuses to go and to plow the field. And he refuses to go and work with the blessings that God has given to him. And how often is the same not true in our own spiritual lives? God's people, we have received so many riches and so many blessings through the gospel of salvation. They have been showered upon us from above. And then we claim that our love for the Lord is an unfailing love. And we're so happy that the Lord God has showered those blessings upon us. And yet, beloved, how often do you not betray the Lord by refusing to to use those blessings, refusing to develop those spiritual gifts in your life? You know, on the one hand, we want God's blessings. 
But we don't always want the responsibility that goes with those blessings. We claim to have an unfailing love for the Lord, and yet we often contradict it by our own sinful way of life. We claim to be devoted to the Lord God, and yet often we are more devoted to the pursuits of, of the material things of this life. So it's more devoted to the lifestyle of this world, to the entertainment that the world has to offer. How faithful, beloved, how faithful are you to the Lord? How dedicated are you to your Savior? Do your words, does your confession, do they really reflect, or do your words really reflect itself in your actions? A faithful man, Solomon asks, who can find? See, those words of Solomon reveal that the reality is that our word and our claims do not always match our actions. And therefore, we need to root out that spiritual laziness that often lives within us so that our actions may more clearly reflect our confession. And if you do not, and if you are not active in doing that, beloved, then one day the Lord will also come as the great judge and he will expose the hypocrisy of your heart. And when the great king comes, that great day to, to judge, he will not only condemn the foolish, but we also told by Solomon that he will give honor to the righteous. See verse three. It says, it is a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Well, a world that is under the influence of, of sin is a world that is dominated with strife and disagreement and contention. Sin always brings strife and disagreement. And, and where there is no sin, well, there you're going to find peace and harmony and agreement. Well, we understand that. Then we obviously we are living in a world of sin, and therefore we know that every day we're going to have to deal with strife and contention. This world filled with sin and strife is the background, the dark background against which the grace of the Lord God in heaven is to be displayed. See, the Lord God gives us wonderful opportunity for us as His people to reveal that we live out of grace over, over against the background of that darkness of sin and corruption. And so, beloved, we need to understand too that our lives are con- constantly held against that background of the sinful world where there is constant strife and disagreement. But when you begin to learn to live out of God's grace, God's grace will be, dis- will be displayed in the fruits of the Spirit And it will reveal itself in those fruits of meekness, gentleness, and long-suffering. And so we're told that a righteous man is one who avoids strife and contention because he realizes why? Because he realizes it is not the fruit of the Spirit. And even if a wise man, if he thinks that he is right, he will avoid strife and disagreements because he realizes that no good is going to come from it. And that the devil will only use it as an opportunity for his evil plans. Because he wants to, because that righteous man wants to display the grace of God in his life, he reveals a peaceful and a loving spirit. You know, that's quite different from the fool Solomon is speaking about. The fool is one who is quick to quarrel. The fool is somebody who jumps into strife in order to defend his own honor and to defend everything that he thinks is right. He is known to be a contentious man who is always at odds with others. By his contention and strife, he, he drives others away from him because nobody wants to be near such a, 
They're contentious fool. And then he destroys not only his own life, but he also destroys the life of his family and he, destroy, and he destroys the life of others all around him. He does not reveal that he is motivated by God's grace. But instead, he always insists on his own way. He's always defending his own honor. Because there's a lack of humility, he lets pride take over in his life, insisting upon his own way. But the righteous man is a man who lets the peace of God rule his heart. So that in humility, he also avoids strife. And he avoids it not because he's afraid of it, but because he knows that that strife will not be of any benefit and will not promote either the glory and the honor of God. In humility, then, he will return soft words to the harsh words that have been spoken against him. And he will keep out of the way of such a person rather than to allow strife and anger uh, to flare up again every time. A wise man will avoid the strife, for he is a man of peace who desires the grace of God to to be displayed in this world, a world that is full of strife and contention. You notice what Solomon says here? He says that it is a man's honor, it is a man's honor to avoid strife. What that means, beloved, is that the king will bestow his honor on those who avoid strife. Why? Well, no king can allow strife and contention to continue to go on in his kingdom. Understand that no kingdom will ever be able to survive when there is constant conflict taking place between the people in his kingdom. Strife will lead to the destruction of his kingdom. Well, what is true for earthly kingdoms is even more true, you can say, uh, for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Strife and contention is allowed to continue and to fester. It will lead to the destruction of the congregation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, our great King will give honor to those who avoid strife. That means that that those who display the fruits of the Spirit by maintaining peace and harmony among the people of God will be raised to a position of respect and honor. And in connection with that, we read in verse 7, that the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. See, this proverb reveals that for a man to be a blessing to his family, he needs to lead a blameless life. Well, what kind of example does a father give to his children if he is always in contention with others? Many years ago, a, a father once told me, that he needed to stop fighting all kinds of issues with other people in the church and even with issues in the church itself. Because he started to realize, he started to see that as his children were growing older, it was destroying his children. He saw how his contentious way of dealing with things was also turning his children away from the Lord. And therefore, as parents, beloved, you need to be wise. And being wise means that that you lead a blameless life in which the grace of God is clearly displayed against that background of the sinful world. The grace of God is clearly displayed in a spirit of humility in which everyone can then also see the fruits of the Spirit work in your life. Beloved, the Lord who showers you with His spiritual blessings, 
He also expects you to produce fruits of righteousness. And when you produce fruits of righteousness, then your children will also be blessed. We know that that children will often will follow in the footsteps of their parents, whether their parents go in the right way or in the wrong way. And if you give them a wrong example, it will indeed, it will hurt them also spiritually. But when you display to them the grace of God in your life, beloved, then you will also be a blessing in the life of your children. Then by your example, you will also direct them in the way of life and you will teach them to be faithful citizens in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God, we see in the last place, is a righteous kingdom over which the righteous king reigns. Verse 2. It says that a king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. Verse 8 says this, When a king sits on his throne to judge, he windows out all evil with his eyes. Remember, we said earlier that in those days the king had great power. He had complete control over everything in his kingdom. He had complete control over the lives of everybody in his kingdom. So that he just needed to give the command... And one of his citizens in the kingdom could be put to death instantly. And therefore, as citizens, you always have to be very careful that you did not stir up the king's wrath against you. The king's wrath, Solomon says, is like the roar of a lion. We know when a lion roars, what does he do? Well, he's attempting to scare his prey. And when his prey is petrified, then it cannot move. And it is then, just when he is petrified and he's not able to move, that the lion pounces and he captures his prey. And therefore, the picture here is that if you anger the king, that is a very, very scary thing. For what you have done is you have forfeited your life. You make the king angry, you will die. Now connected to this is the idea that the king is also the judge in his kingdom. The king would would sit on his throne when there are cases that needed his judgment. We know that that was a very important function for the kings in those days because it's the way in which a king would winnow out the evildoers in his kingdom. And so Solomon here is speaking from experience. For Solomon often sat in judgment upon his throne. And because of his great wisdom, Solomon became one of the great judges of the earth. And yet, beloved, Solomon cannot compare to the glory, and he cannot compare to the honor of the great King Jesus Christ, who, who will come to judge the living and the dead. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes on that day of judgment, he will winnow out all evil, and he will do so with his eyes. With his eyes, the Lord Jesus is able to penetrate to our very heart. And as He penetrates to our hearts, He also knows what lives within us. Beloved, there is absolutely no guessing on the part of the Lord Jesus because He knows what lives in your heart and therefore His judgments will be entirely perfect and just and right. Every evildoer will be called out. And therefore Solomon points out, it is so foolish, he says, for you to live as fools and to continue to live as fools who ignore the will of God. If you think that that you can keep your evil motivation hidden in the deep waters of your heart, you are mistaken. 
And if you think that you can get away without producing a harvest of righteousness, you are wrong. And if you think that you can hide behind pious words, declaring unfailing love to the Lord, you are a fool. And if you think that you can get away with strife and discord in the household of God, then you have no wisdom. Don't you see? He says, don't you see that the king sits on the throne to judge? Don't you understand that he will look right through your heart and see the evil that lives inside of you? Don't you know that one day you will have to answer for your life? And if you are to be found among the fools, then you will have to contend with the wrath of the king. And if you anger the Almighty King, who is the judge of heaven and earth, then you have forfeited your life. And therefore, brothers and sisters, it is such a serious thing if you continue to live as fools in this life. Instead, you are called by the Lord God to be a people of understanding, a people who know the grace and the mercy of God revealed to you in Jesus Christ. And when you know the mercy and you know the grace of the Lord, well, then the purposes of your heart will also be just and right. The purpose of your heart will be, how may I serve the Lord God? How may I bear fruits of righteousness for His glory? And beloved, when you then serve the Lord God in that way, then you'll also remain faithful to your Lord. And when you are faithful to your Lord, then you will not fear the great king either when he comes on that great, on that last day as the judge of all the earth. For yes, he will come and with his eyes he will look right through your heart. But when he looks right through your heart, then he will also see your faith. And then he will also know your unfailing love for him. And he will discover there also the fruits of righteousness. And then he will also give to you a place of honor in his kingdom together with all those who are righteous in Christ Jesus. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.